Pittsburgh Steelers fans, what's going on? This is Jeff Hartman, co-editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, with you for another episode of this Let's Ride podcast, your Monday, Wednesday, Friday podcast. It's typically at 5 a.m., but on Mondays, during the season, day after the game, this runs at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so thank you for making me a part of your Monday. I hope you're off to a, a great start. Heck, the Pittsburgh Steelers should have gotten you off to a great start as we finally, oh my gosh, finally are able to taste that Victory Monday feeling once again. It's been a while. It's been three weeks, and the Steelers are now 12-3. and three. They have clinched the AFC North. They make Phillip Rivers go crying back to Indianapolis, and a lot can change here in, in just a week. We'll talk about that a lot in terms of, in the second half of this show, we're going to talk about winners and losers. I had eight winners and four losers from this Week 16 game at Heinz Field, as well as to rest, or not to rest players. That'll be at the very end of the show, so make sure you stay tuned. But first and foremost, I want to talk about the headline of this episode, the title of this episode. What will this Jekyll and Hyde Steelers team do when it matters most? That's that's what's on everyone's mind right now. This is literally like watching two different teams every single week. That's what it's like. It is like trying to figure out which team is which, which team's going to show up, which player is going to show up at specific positions. No one knows. I've had so many people hit me up on Twitter and say, Jeff, what's going on with this offense? What do you fix? And there are times in my life where I've been able to kind of have a really good finger on the pulse of, of, okay, if if they could do this or that, I think they would see success. Honestly, the last three weeks, it's literally putting your hands in the air saying, I have no clue. I, I got I got nothing. I have nothing. Outside of just saying, well, Ben Roethlisberger needs to play better, I've got nothing. So when I thought about this team, when I thought about this game, it literally, you know, it's not just the tale of two halves for me. Everyone's going to talk about that, the tale of two halves. And it, it, it very apropos, I get it. But at the same time, I think that this team is more Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. If you're familiar with that story, you know that Dr. Jekyll was, he was like the quiet guy. He was the the doctor that, that did his job. But then he, when, he, when he turned into Mr. Hyde, well, Mr. Hyde was dangerous. Like Mr. Hyde was, he was the he was the, the guy that Dr. Jekyll got addicted to being. He, he got addicted to being that, that persona, that person. So for me, Dr. Jekyll is the Steelers the last three weeks. Mr. Hyde is the team that came storming back in the second half against the Colts to win in Week 16, and and that was such a big win for so many reasons. Dr. Jekyll is the Steelers barely beating the the Ravens at Heinz Field, and Mr. Hyde is the team that went on an 11-0 run. So what is this team? Which, Which is this? Is it Dr. Jekyll, or is this really Mr. Hyde? Was Week 16's comeback nothing more than just a... Well, they, they got lucky. You know, the, the the Colts did this, the Colts did that, the Steelers got some calls here or there. But was that what it was? Or is this maybe the turning point for this team? Let's talk about it. First, let's talk about what it is about this Dr. Jekyll Steelers team. Okay, well, what, what defines the team when they're struggling? What defines the team when they're not having success? Well, first and foremost, it's abysmal offense. Look at the first half of the Pittsburgh Steelers win over the Colts in Week 16. Ben Roethlisberger had 90 yards passing, 90 yards. He ended up throwing for 342, 
and he had 90 yards passing in the first half. Think about that. That's that's a horrible. The Steelers had 20 yards rushing in the entire game on 14 carries. Now I understand that when you're playing from behind, that's that 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 makes a difference. I get it. But at the same time, 90 yards passing, 20 yards rushing. Their third down offense is just they struggle. It's situational football, the third and shorts. That it there were times, there are times where I'd rather the Steelers have a third and five than a third and one. And that's horrible to say. It really is. You have a defense that just can't stop the run. Am I alone in thinking that when I think back to that game, and I said this during the game, I got to watch this game with my dad, which was a, which I haven't watched a game, I think, since 2018 with him. He was in town celebrating the holiday, and we got to watch the game together. And I said, I feel like every time Jonathan Taylor touches the football, he's going to have at least five yards rushing. That's just, I mean, the Steelers' defensive front was getting pushed around. We know the strength of that Indianapolis Colts offensive line is in the interior with Quentin Nelson and company. And boy, were they just moving bodies. And Jonathan Taylor is a tremendous talent as well. I think he finished with an average of 4.7 yards per carry. It just seemed like, my goodness, they can't stop the run to save their life. And for some unknown reason, I have no idea why the Colts did this. They got away from the running game in the second half. This almost was to a T, in my opinion, a lot like the Steelers game against the Houston Texans at Heinz Field. If you remember, in the first half, the Steelers could do nothing. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't stop anything. And then in the second half, the Texans got completely away from what, from what was working in the first half, and the Steelers were able to come back. Same thing happened in Week 16. This is also the Dr. Jekyll Steelers is also a, a defense and a team, I guess you should say, that thrives and survives on turnovers. And if they don't get them, boy, they're in trouble. If they don't get the turnovers or the takeaways, they're in trouble. Now, they got two against the Colts, and that was those were huge plays, none larger than the T.J. Watt strip sack, which was recovered by Mike Hilton and returned to the three-yard line, and then the Steelers punched it in, James Conner rushing touchdown. You got the feeling if they didn't get that play, the Steelers weren't going to score a point in the first half. Period. It was it was awful. Abysmal is not even a good enough adjective to describe the Steelers' offense in the first half. But the problem is, is that I I'm not the only person that feels this way. That you know turnovers come in bunches. Sometimes you get two, like you had it in the game, which the the Colts had not turned the ball over a lot, by the way, and they were able to get two. But at the same time, there's been games like the last two weeks they hadn't gotten any. So the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think that's what happens when you have to depend on that and that's the key i'm not saying the takeaways are bad trust me they're not but when you have to depend on those that's bad because then if you don't get them you're screwed and that's exactly what we've seen uh i'm sorry the last week against cincinnati was a very good example of that you also have these questionable coaching decisions whether it's randy feetner with his i don't know sometimes it feels like he's just throwing stuff against the wall like he's literally going through his play sheet and it's just proverbial like throwing stuff against the proverbial wall just like maybe something will stick i'm gonna try this now nope that didn't work i'm gonna try this now it just doesn't seem like there's ever any calculated decisions that are being made it just seems like they're constantly just grasping at straws you know i I don't get it i don't get it but then you even look at the end of the first half pittsburgh has three timeouts remaining philip rivers facing like a third and 15 maybe even longer than that they don't call timeout 
They don't call timeout. Therefore, the Steelers don't have an opportunity to really add points on the board at the end of the half. And I get it that with Matthew Wright, they were very limited in terms of their field goal range. If Chris Boswell were kicking, that would be a different story. You just can't make those mistakes, though. And that's the type of stuff that happens when these Dr. Jekyll Steelers are on the football field. It's just, it is. It's exactly it. Now, what is the alternative? Who are the Mr. Hyde Steelers? Who are the Steelers that will come out and they will dictate to the opposition, whether it's offense or defense, does not matter. Who are the who are the Mr. Hyde Steelers that are going to come out and say, you know what, we're going to tell you what you're going to do and we're going to show you that you can't stop it either way. So first and foremost, it's a creative offense. You saw it in the second half against the Colts. You saw the Pittsburgh Steelers offense show some creativity. It was the fact that you know, it all started with the touchdown pass to Deontay Johnson. That was the key. That was the first play. That was almost like what ignited the offense. And then you saw the seam passes to Chase Claypool. You saw Juju Smith-Schuster down the seam. You saw Eric Ebron in the flat. You saw screen passes to James Conner. You saw James Conner being utilized in the passing game in a variety of ways. These were things that we have not seen from a Steelers offense, I'm not joking you, since Le'Veon Bell was a prime member of the Steelers' offense. What we saw from the Steelers in Week 16, especially in the second half, looked very similar to the Steelers when Bell was having breakout seasons. If they can utilize either Benny Snell or James Conner, I don't care which, that way all the time. If they're gonna, you know, if the defense is gonna rush and they're gonna really bring pressure, all you have to do is get that little dump off pass to Conner or Snell and let them do the rest. It was creative. That's the one thing I want to keep emphasizing. It was creative, and that's something the Steelers have struggled with. I talked about questionable coaching decisions with the Dr. Jekyll Steelers. Well, with Mr. Hyde, they actually have some creativity on offense, but it also goes to defense. Making very calculated risks about when they're going to send pressure, like when you're going to send Mike Hilton off the edge, when you're just going to rely on rushing three or four, when you're going to send Vince Williams or Avery Williamson up the middle on that you know zone dog blitz that they love to run. That I I, I can still remember watching that stunt between Farrier and Foot where they would cross over back in the day. They did it all the time. They don't run that too much anymore because they're not in their base defense very often, but still being very calculative, creative offense and creative defense are very big components of what would be considered the Mr. Hyde Steelers. Also, offensively, using the entire football field. Look back to the first half. Look back to the game against the Bengals on Monday Night Football, and you saw the Steelers, they would only throw the ball outside the hashes. They, They never really attacked the middle of the football field. And when you don't attack the middle of the football field, and I understand that you get into some very risky situations in the middle of the football field, but you have to use the entire field offensively. When the Steelers do that, and this really started when Claypool caught that catch down the seam. Once he started to get involved again, everything else seemed to open up. Because the defense now said, okay, DJ, Deontay Johnson caught a deep ball for a touchdown. That might be considered a fluke. But all of a sudden, Chase Claypool gets going, and he's hitting down, and we're, they're connecting down the seam. Now, all of a sudden, we have issues. Because if we're going to send a safety to help there, now you have Deontay Johnson one-on-one. You could have Eric Ebron with a favorable matchup. You have Juju Smith-Schuster still to deal with. That's when the Steelers' offense becomes very versatile, and they become very, very dangerous. Also... I think I look, you look back at the, the defense. So the Mr. Hyde Steelers on defense is when they make a team one-dimensional. They stop the run to the point where they are creating third and longs, obvious passing situations, which allows them 
even if it's just the front four, to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. When even Alex Highsmith is is very adept at rushing the quarterback. If he struggles, he struggles in run support. It's not in pass rushing. And when you look at the Steelers and TJ Watt, when he knows, especially with a quarterback like Phillip Rivers, who's not mobile, when he knows that they're going to throw, and he knows that he can just pin his ears back and just rush the passer. I always think back to Bill Cowher hitting Greg Lloyd on the shoulder pads. Rush the passer. That's what, when TJ Watt can do just that, and he doesn't have to worry about RPOs, he doesn't have to worry about, you know, draws or, or anything like that, he is deadly. And that's what the Steelers defense needs to be able to focus on in this Mr. Hyde Steelers defense where stop the run, don't give them that third and manageable, create third and longs, and allow your pass rush, which is the best in the NFL, to do its thing. That's key. Lastly, coaching adjustments. You can't deny the fact that coaching adjustments were made on Sunday with the Indianapolis Colts. you, You can't say, well, this is just Ben being Ben. No, I mean, there have to be adjustments made from the coaches down onto the players. The players have to execute, but the plan has to be there as well. I saw a, a lot of adjustments both on offense and defense. I thought that the the Steelers coaching staff deserves a lot of credit, maybe not a ton of credit, but a lot of credit for the adjustments that they did make. I think that that's crucial for the Steelers' success down the stretch run because if not, if they can't adjust, they're done. They're dead. They're dead in the water. Because even if they have a great first half, think back to the Tennessee game. Great first half. I mean, they're clicking on all cylinders. What happens in the second half? Failures to adjust, the other team adjusts, and now all of a sudden you find yourself in a dogfight. The team that can adjust throughout the game and be dominant and in that process is the team that can blow out opponents. The Steelers don't typically do that. I understand that. But if they can start to find their groove, and maybe this three-game losing streak wasn't, maybe maybe it'll turn out to be a blessing in disguise. We won't know this until the season's over. But if the Steelers somehow, someway, find a way to get red hot make and win a Super Bowl, they might just look back at that three-game losing streak and say, you know what, maybe that was just what the doctor ordered because maybe we put our egos to the side. Maybe we started to figure things out, and maybe because of that three-game losing streak, we were able to really define who we are at the very best time of the season. Maybe. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't. I don't know. So which one is this team, this 2020 Steelers team? Are they Dr. Jekyll or are they Mr. Hyde? But right now, you get a little bit of both, and it's been this way for a long time. You'll have great plays, you'll have great halves, great quarters, and you'll have ones that you literally have you scratching your head wondering, how can this team that is now 12-3 and be this inept in certain situations? How can this team that was 11-0 and be so bad in certain situations? And then you'll have moments where this team that has lost three games in a row, you're saying, how in the world did they lose three in a row when they can look this good? I the, the scariest thing to me about this team is not the potential or anything like that it is the fact that if the, it, the Steelers right now seem like a light switch they can be turned on and off just like that just like that that's scary because right when you think they're in a groove the offense can fall apart the defense can give up a long drive it's an issue period They need to find some level of consistency, but honestly, this team is capable of being Mr. Hyde, but we've seen way too much Dr. Jekyll to think that they've turned that proverbial corner. I don't know what's going to happen. 
I don't know what's going to happen because they have a lot of decisions to make. Mike Tomlin and his coaching staff have some tough decisions to make with Week 17 in regards to are they or are they not going to rest players? Are they or are they not going to take a look at you know how they're going to approach certain things? There's a lot of question marks surrounding this team moving into Week 17 and into the playoffs. And we're going to talk about this game, winners and losers, That's what we always do here after the game. We're going to do winners and losers and then talk about to rest or not to rest players to finish out the show. We'll be right back right after this break. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, welcome back to the second segment of this Let's Ride podcast. I'm Jeff Hartman, co-editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. That should be your one-stop shop, by the way, for all things Pittsburgh Steelers. My goodness, that is, we have some tremendous stuff on the website today. If you haven't checked it out, be sure. I got to be honest, if I'm going to tell you to check out any article, if I'm like saying, man, you really got to check these out, I always recommend you check out Dave Schofield's uh, By the Numbers article after the game where he dives into the stats. Get, that's a must read every week. If you're looking for just some fun reading, check out the players on social media. Uh, when after a win, take all the tweets and put them into an article. Just Steven Nelson was really pissed off, by the way, after that game. So you have to check that out. Uh, but also Kevin's uh, Kevin Smith, who is a contributor to the podcast side. He does the pregame show with Brian Anthony Davis. He's also a, a film room guy for us for BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Did a great article on how the Colts changed in the second half, and what it meant for the Steelers. So check that out. But let's get into the winners and losers. This is an article I write for the website, but if you don't want to read about it, here we are. Eight winners and four losers. Let's get right into things. The top winner, surprise, surprise, Mr. Benjamin Todd Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger's stat line, listen to this, 34 for 49, 342 yards. He had a seven-yard average, three touchdowns, no picks, one sack for nine yards, and a 109.4 rating. Look, first half, Ben Roethlisberger was nothing to write home about. We all know that. He was struggling like he had the previous three weeks en route to throwing just 90 yards through two quarters. However, the second half for Roethlisberger, well, that looked more like the Big Ben that we've seen since 2004. You know, that that huge second half, I, I feel like it erased uh, the bad from earlier in the game. And maybe it shouldn't have, but it, it does, at least mentally. And it has this team riding high for now. For now, I'll put that in there. I, I think Roethlisberger's performance could have earned him some much-needed rest in Week 17. We'll put it that way. The next winner, TJ Watt. Three tackles, three solo, two sacks, one tackle for loss, one quarterback hit, and one forced fumble. Hey, you know a player has reached another level when they can register a game like Watt had versus the Colts. And that was that's a really good game. And the general consensus from the fan base was like, yeah, Watt was good. <laughs> that's kind of where we are. Yeah, yeah, Watt was good. I mean, what might be the most impressive thing of the aspect of Watt's game is no matter what else happens. I mean, they Bud Dupree's gone, or if Stefan Tuitt's out, or, you know, whoever the whatever the case may be, he continues to produce. I mean, his stats speak for himself. This comes from the Steelers' official website. Listen to these stats. He's the first player in Steelers history with 14-plus sacks in multiple seasons, seventh player to register at least 15 sacks, and 24 tackles for loss 
in a single season since 1999. And he's the 14th player in NFL history with at least 14 and a half sacks in back-to-back seasons. So those are not just Steelers history marks, you know, franchise history. These are NFL, some of these are NFL marks. So keep that in mind. He is setting new levels for Steelers pass rushers. And I think it's safe to say, and this is something that Brian Anthony Davis has been saying for a long time, that TJ Watt is on his way to, to not just passing James Harrison for the overall franchise mark for sacks, blowing his doors off. And he's on pace to, to do it faster than you would ever think. But TJ Watt for sure deserves to be a winner after week 16. Next winner, Deontay Johnson, Eight receptions, 75 yards, a 9.4 average, one touchdown. That 39-yard long came on that touchdown reception. He was targeted 14 times. You know, I think if you if you want to look why he's in the winner column, that, that why Deontay Johnson's in the winner's column this week, I think you have to go back to the narrative surrounding him entering the Week 16 game versus the Bengals. So go back to the lead-up to that Bengals game, and you'll see it was just drops, drops, and more drops. And that's what everyone was talking about. What's he done since? Well, I don't think he's had a drop since. Yeah, he. there might have been some passes that he could have hauled in, but when you come down to the passes that I felt he should have caught, not could have, should have caught, I think he's been pretty much perfect. Look, Johnson is not a perfect player. He's not a perfect receiver, but he is a very key cog in the Steelers' offense. When he is on, this Steelers' offense is a different level. So they need him to remain consistent, to hopefully put those drops in the past, he was the the guy. He was the player that ignited that offense with that huge touchdown, and that earns him a spot on the winner's list. Next winner, Juju Smith-Schuster. Nine catches, 96 yards, a 10.7 average, one touchdown, 25-yard long. That came on his touchdown reception, and he was targeted 13 times. It's crazy to think. Juju Smith-Schuster was just four yards away from cracking the 100-yard plateau, and that's something he's only done once. He has only done once since Antonio Brown left the Steelers. Think about that. However, it doesn't mean that Smith-Schuster hasn't been a valuable member of the offense. I think I would argue that Smith-Schuster is one of the most valuable players on the Steelers' offense, and he proved that with some man tough catches, tough yards, and the tough parts of the field. Like After he dropped a touchdown reception early in the game, I think he made up for it with a big touchdown catch. Uh, We talked about that 25-yarder, and it brought the Steelers back within striking distance. A a huge performance and a huge game for Smith-Schuster. Definitely a winner. Next winner, Mike Hilton. Four tackles, two solo, two pass defenses, one fumble recovery, and one interception. You you look at all the impending free agents for the Steelers, all of them. You talk to James Conner, Juju Smith-Schuster, Cam Sutton, uh, Bud Dupree. Look, Mike Hilton is slowly pushing his way to the top of that list in terms of priority players that the Steelers should keep. And not only has it had a great season, I feel like he's finally 100% after that shoulder injury, which he missed several games in the middle of the season. Um, I would say that right now, Hilton is having a Devin Bush-like season where it just seems like the football finds him. You talk about that fumble, that the, the fumble for Phillip Rivers, the ball's bouncing around, and, and they, there's Mike Hilton. It just finds him. Uh, the interception was a key turning point in the game. Hilton's earning himself some money this season. We'll put it that way. Whether it's with Pittsburgh or somewhere else has yet to be seen. All right, next winner, Stefan Tuitt. Two tackles, two solo, one sack, one pass defense, one tackle for loss, and two quarterback hits. A lot of people have been down on Stefan Tuitt. Dave Schofield has been one of them. He said that you know they expect Tuitt to step up, wants him to play better, yada yada yada. I think he did. I mean, this was a game I wasn't sure if I'd put Tuitt on the winners list, but then when you look at the box score, you're like, man, that cha- kind of changes my mind. 
his sack, his pass defense, tackle for loss ability, his ability to just harass Phillip Rivers was something the Steelers desperately needed. Is Tuit still dealing with lingering effects of COVID? Maybe. Is he banged up? I mean, he missed practice time with the back? Maybe. No one really knows, but it was good to see Tuit definitely snap out of a, a short-term funk. Oh, and by the way, in case you didn't know, Tuit has registered 10 sacks this season. He is the last time a Steelers defensive lineman registered double-digit sacks was in 2017 when Cam Hayward had 12. So Tuit's having a very quiet career year for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Next winner, takeaways. Yeah, the Steelers defense taking the ball away. They had one forced fumble in recovery, and they had an interception. The Steelers' takeaways had dried up the past few weeks, and when they come, they came back in a big way versus the Colts in Week 16. Uh, their their two takeaways were a big, big component of the Steelers' win. Think about it: without Watts' strip sack and Hilton's recovery slash return, you know, my goodness, I don't think the Steelers' offense would have scored any points in the first half. Uh, the the Steelers' 27 takeaways. They have 27 takeaways on the year, tied with the Miami Dolphins for the most in the NFL. And their plus 10 in turnover differential is now tied for second in the league. So keep that in mind. Second half adjustments. They that's the next winner. It has to be. Second half adjustments. 3 points surrendered and 21 points scored. What happened? You know, what changed? Was the comeback more about the Colts like stop they they stopped running the football. They, I don't know why, but they did. Or their defense just completely backed off. Was it more the Colts than it was the Steelers at this point? I really don't care. The Steelers second half was great. And the coaches and players deserve a ton of credit for the bounce back. In this tale of two halves, I, I know I talked about that in the early part of the show, the Steelers stood tallest when it matters most. Period. Period. All right, so those are the eight winners. Let's go to the losers. Four losers in this. I'm going to start off with the running game. 20 yards. They, the Steelers had 20 yards on 14 attempts, and 12 of those yards came on one run by James Conner. The Steelers only ran the ball 14 times. So it's not like they ran it 35 times and only had 20 yards. At the same time, to only see 20 yards rushing on the ground for the Steelers, it's very disheartening. The weakness of this Colts defense was their secondary, is their secondary. But And it didn't shock me at all that the Steelers threw the ball to win on Sunday. You know, you think about it too. When you're trailing by 17 points, you're gonna you're gonna have to go one dimensional to pull off a comeback. But the Steelers are fortunate to win these games. But the, man, the running game continues to be a mystery. Next loser, the third down offense. They finished four for 11 in those third down situations. The Steelers, the first half. I mean, it was it certainly hurt this this statistic, third down offense. But the last time I checked, <laughs> there are four quarters in a game and not just two. So even though the second half was better. The first half was awful, and we talked about those third and short situations where the Steelers fail. It just is mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling. If they can just fix the third and short situations, I think it would cure a lot of woes for this Steelers offense. Next, the first half offense and the first half defense. So the winner was the second half offense and defense. The loser is the first half offense and defense. They, they surrendered 21 points, and they only scored seven in a large part because of the defense. Nothing was working for the Steelers. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't do anything offensively. And it just goes to show you that their starts, the Steelers' starts to games have been awful. And it needs to change quick, or the the Steelers' playoff run might just be that, quick. 
they can't fall behind like this every single week. They fell behind against the Bills on Sunday Night Football. They fell behind against the Bengals because of turnovers on, on Monday Night Football. They just can't do this week in and week out. They have to come out to better starts. What is the fix? I wish I knew. I really wish I knew. Last loser, the run defense. They gave up 127 yards on 27 carries, giving up a four and a half yard average to the Indianapolis Colts. You know, most weeks I get these questions from other SB Nation websites. And a lot of times I get asked, you know, what can you crack the code for the Steelers defense? What what do we have to do? Whatever team they're playing. So this upcoming week it would be the Browns. Like what do the Browns have to do to crack the Steelers code? And I always say the same thing: you have to be able to run the ball. If you can't run the ball, you're screwed. But if you can run the ball, I feel like you can crack the Steelers defensive code. Because when you the Steelers, if they've struggled anywhere on defense, it's in the run. It's in run defense. They've struggled to stop the run, and that was the case against Jonathan Taylor and the Colts. They've now given up. The Steelers now average giving up 106.1 yards per game, 106.1 yards per game on the ground. That's eighth in the league, and that's their lowest ranking out of all major four categories. We're talking passing yards allowed, total yards, points per game, and rushing yards allowed. So if the defense can make teams one-dimensional and stop the run better, Boy, it's going to play right into the hands of their elite pass rush. So that's that's definitely a loser. And they did win the game, but my goodness, the run defense has to improve, period. Has to get better, no doubt about it. All right, I want to finish this show up after we go through those winners and losers, eight winners and four losers there. To rest or not to rest the players. That's what everyone is talking about right now. Should the Steelers or shouldn't the Steelers actually rest their starters in week 17 when they go to Cleveland. Now the Steelers winning on Sunday at Heinz Field means that they clinch the AFC North. Now pending what happens Monday night against the Patriots and Bills will depend on whether the Steelers could possibly move into the two spot in the AFC playoff race. I don't think there's too much difference between the two and three seed in the AFC playoff picture. Some will say, well, if you're the two seed, you're going to be playing at home until you play the number one seed, or should I say if you play the number one seed. And I get that. I do get that. But at the same time, the Steelers could definitely take a we are going to rest players approach in week 17. Should they? Well, some people say that they shouldn't. Some people say that Mike Tomlin should say, look, we've been playing like garbage. And up until the second half, we we were garbage in week 16. We're going to play our guys. We might not play them the whole game, but we're going to get them out there and get them some reps. If he decides to do that, I have no problem with it. However, If I'm the coach, I'm definitely keeping certain players out of this upcoming game for obvious reasons. Now, just I'm going to give you the list of players that I would rest if I'm going to do that. And the reason why I'm going to choose these players is because the Steelers have the depth along their offensive line or defensive lines or defense, whatever. You can't just say we got to rest everyone because then you don't have enough for a team. You have to be able to... (laughs) to still field a roster. So when I say I'm going to rest some of these players, it's because they have the depth on their roster at those positions to actually afford to do so. So first and foremost, I'm resting Ben Roethlisberger. His arm looks tired, although it looked lively in the second half. I think he could do, I think having a week off would do him well. Just don't practice. Just literally, if you're going to throw balls to receivers, that's one thing, but we're, we're literally wanting you to rest your body to get right for that first wild card, that wild card playoff game. That's huge. Have Mason Rudolph be the starter. Have Joshua Dobbs dressed for the first time this season. You'll be okay. 
send Mason Rudolph to Cleveland back to where the scene of the crime, like that Thursday night game last year in 2019 where Miles Garrett and Rudolph got into that whole uh, scandal, which is still being talked about. Have him go up there to Cleveland and say, hey, knock him out of the playoffs. You know, get get revenge that way. I would also sit Marquise Pouncey. Let J.C. Hassenauer play in a game. I think he'll be just fine. Pouncey's a player that you need. Pouncey's a player that you want to have healthy for the postseason. So I would sit Marquise Pouncey. I would also sit David DeCastro. The thing about this, though, is it all hinges on getting Derwin Gray back on the roster. They had to waive Derwin Gray. If they can get him back on the roster, then you can put him in there and have him play. If not, they might have to play DeCastro because they're just so thin at guard. So that's a possibility. But if they can rest him, rest him. And then even big Alejandro Villanueva. Maybe he's a player that starts the game and they take him out and put in Gerald Hawkins. That's a possibility. Uh, But you you might want to dress him because you need that tackle. But at the same time, if they can afford to rest Big Al, I would rest him because if maybe he's a little dinged up. Maybe that's why he's been playing poorly, but I would rest him. And again, there's going to be people that sit here and listen and say, Jeff, you're nuts. These guys have not been playing that well. How do, how do they deserve a day off or a week off? It's not that they deserve it. It's that they could benefit from it, and that's key. Defensively, I'd give Cam Hayward uh, the week off. They have a, a ton of players on the defensive front. They could have Isaiah Bugs dress. They have Carlos Davis, who play has been playing a lot. They have Henry Mondo. They can fill those gaps. I would TJ Watt is is definitely a tough one for me. He has 15 sacks. He only needs one more to to I think it's to tie James Harrison single season mark for the Steelers. I don't know how much that means to Watt, but you know you you saw him limp off the field even on, in, on Sunday. It would be nice to make sure he is as fresh as fresh can be heading into the playoffs. If I can convince him to, well, I guess if I'm the coach, I don't have to convince him. I'm going to tell him, Hey, you're not playing. I might rest TJ Watt. You know, you let, uh, Cassius Marsh, you let Alex Highsmith, hopefully Ola Adenye would be back. He missed last week because of a shoulder injury. You let some of those other pass rushers get some reps. J Ron Elliott, uh, let him, let him go out and play. Because maybe, maybe just maybe getting TJ Watt healthy would be good. Minka Fitzpatrick is another player that I would I would rest. They have Sean Davis. The Steelers could put Sean Davis out there and be just fine. But I'm looking at players that you just can't afford to lose. You just can't afford to lose. So maybe maybe Joe Hayden is another one that gets some rest. Because maybe he's an older player. He could use the, the benefit of a week off. Stephon Tuitt, just like Cam Hayward, you, you might want to rest him. But again, some of these players like Cam and Tuitt, and even Hayden, maybe you say to them, hey, we're going to start you, but we're looking to pull you at some point So just to get you out there, to get you some reps, to get you feeling good about yourself heading to the playoffs. Uh, that's that's potentially what the Steelers could do. So to rest or not to rest the players, I think you rest some. I definitely think you do. I think you have to be smart about it, especially the guy like Roethlisberger. If that's the only player they rest and they say everyone else is going to play, I'd be fine with that too. Be fine with that too. Uh, let me know what you think. Find me on Twitter at jhartman underscore PIT. Let me know what you think about resting players. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. And remember, folks, BehindTheSteelCurtain.com should be your one-stop shop for all things Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm Jeff Hartman, the co-editor of said website. Remember, be safe, be kind, and God bless. We'll see you on Wednesday. Here we go, Steelers.